0: Your Locked On Maple Leafs. Your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Part of the Locked
1: On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked
0: On Podcast. What's up, Jeff? All things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DeStefner, from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio. Also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. Hit me up on Twitter, Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show as well, at On Leafs. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating and review as well. That would be much, much appreciated. Uh, a much better effort uh, tonight, a much better result through 60 Minutes than, uh, than we had on Monday. As the Leafs hang on to beat the Ottawa Senators by a score of two. Two to one, and to talk about it all, I am joined by Tony Ferrari once again from Dobber Prospects. Tony, what's going on, bud?
1: Not too much. It's a much better feeling today than on, than on Monday because I, I I don't know how happy or uh, how <laughs> profanity filled Monday would have been if I was here. Oh boy.
0: Yeah. No. I, I mean, we I had to do a, a podcast right after that game, and and we were joking that the first word out of most Leaf fans. Uh, mouth after Dadnoff scored that OT winner was probably a word that you can't say on public radio that started with the letter F. It's about four letters long.
1: So, yeah, that's pretty accurate there.
0: <laughs> exactly. But uh, not not too many of those moments tonight, though, luckily. Uh, it, it was an interesting game. I think it, it started out not looking so great in the first period, but then the Leafs kind of found their footing uh, towards the second and third and kind of took over that game a little bit more. What, what were your overall thoughts about tonight?
1: Yeah, it was a really weird game because, as you said, the, the first period was kind of not necessarily dominated by Ottawa, but they were definitely controlling play. And you you've seen them, the Leafs kind of come to life a little bit in the last five minutes, but it wasn't really until about midway through the second period where they started to really start to push and in in pressure Ottawa consistently. But Ottawa played a feisty game. I mean, credit to them. Like both goalies played really well tonight too, and yep. and that kept the game low scoring. But uh, it was uh, not not the prettiest game. I'll say that.
0: Were you team uh, Freddy for tonight, or did you think maybe tonight would have been a good time to get Hutchinson in net? Because I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. I, I came out and I said maybe this would be a good chance to get Hutchinson. And and I know usually Freddie does like to play the first night of a back-to-back, but coming off of such a brutal outing on Monday where he looked really shaky and to me it just kind of looked like he hit a wall. He would played so many games in so little time. Um, he's played every single night since Jack Campbell got hurt. I thought maybe giving him an extra night off, Uh, Would do him some good. Obviously, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about because they put him right back in the crease and he was fantastic for the Leafs tonight.
1: Yeah, I listened to your podcast with Ross and I heard you say it and I was like, you know what? Like it doesn't make that that little sense. Like it makes a lot of sense to do that. And I wasn't against the idea. I wasn't necessarily for it, but I certainly wasn't against it. Um, getting Freddie some extra rest is going to be important this season. It, it's a compressed schedule. And, and despite the fact that it's not 82 games, it's, it's going to be tight. It's going to be game every other day. And and yeah, like getting Freddie a, a night of rest, one of these two nights is going to be important. So I, I saw that, that uh, Keith said that he's not naming the starting goaltender till tomorrow, but you got to think it's going to be Hutchison. Unless Jack Campbell miraculously recovers.
0: Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. I'd be surprised if Hutch uh, isn't isn't between the pipes tomorrow night for the second leg of a back-to-back. But uh, as for tonight, so we, we discussed how the first period kind of was just a weird one, right? It wasn't—you're right. It, it didn't seem like Ottawa was dominating because they weren't really, like— terribly out shooting them and, and they weren't getting quality chances. They just had a lot of possession in the offensive zone and Toronto just had trouble breaking out. I think that was the biggest issue. Like the Sens did a great job clogging up the neutral zone and limiting the Leafs from gaining the zone and keeping it pretty low vantaki And then in the second period, I felt the Toronto Maple Leafs finally broke through that wall and started to get some possession time in the offensive zone, throw the puck around a little bit, and it eventually led to some chances. Um, Is that kind of what you think is the recipe here on out towards the, the sense. Because I feel like that's what they tried to do. What they did in the first period was kind of, that's their game plan. And, and I thought the Maple Leafs did a good job adjusting coming out into the second period and breaking that down a little bit. And by the end of the game, they're able to get into the into the offensive zone kind of at will at times.
1: Yeah, I think the Leafs are, are learning on the fly how to adapt to things because – We've seen them in, in years past where they come out and they're they're the same team in a, in, in every game. They're they're going to be trying to go for that goal, trying to be a high scoring team, don't, not really rely on defense. Whereas. You've noticed a few times this year they've been able to make that adjustment after the first period or even after the second period and and come back in some games and kind of really work in some games. And I know our taste is, is sour in our mouth after that game on Monday, but for the most part, the Leafs have done a really good job this season of making adjustments and adapting to what the opponent's giving them. Because like you said, Ottawa wasn't really giving them a whole lot. They weren't able to play that high-end, high, f- high flashy style of game that they played on Monday, at least for the first half of that game they really didn't have room to do that. So kind of getting the puck in deep and, and, and making these ugly plays, like Matthew's goal was great, but I mean, Kerfoot's goal was fishing it out of a pile and putting it <laughs> in the net off the goalie's helmet. Like it, it wasn't going to be a pretty game. And in Ottawa kind of set the tone on that pretty early. Not only the helmet
0: fished it out, just got it off went off the helmet off the post off the pads. And then in the definition of a garbage goal. And it happened to be the game winner. But um, you know, it was it was nice to see Kerfoot actually get rewarded because I felt that you know for he was buzzing around in that third period and to see him be able to score a goal and and kind of get off the schneid a little bit, it was nice to see. Yeah,
1: I mean Kerfoot had a, actually a pretty good game, and I, I've been pretty hard on Kerfoot all year, and. Um it, it was really interesting when I went on evolving evolving hockey and kind of looked at some of the stats on there and some of the more analytical stats. And I, I went to in individual expected goals and Alexander Kerford actually led the team. And it it wasn't until the third period that that really came on. And in, I looked at this about halfway through the second and, and he was about middle of the pack. So yeah, like you said, he had that really strong third period. I mean, the goal helps uh, super lucky, obviously, like you said, it took three bounces to go in, but that's going to be the kind of goal that Kerford's going to need on, on, Streaks like this where he isn't really playing all that well, he's going to need those kind of dirty garbage goals to go in because he isn't really a sniper. He's not going to get too many shots by the goalie freehand.
0: And he was one of the guys who was, I don't want to say attacked, but he was somebody who was pointed out in Steve Simmons article in the Toronto Sun today, which Put Leafs Twitter in a bit of a tizzy earlier today. Um, we will discuss it a little more in depth and in detail later in the podcast. But I thought that he responded pretty well and actually had himself quite a, a quite a good game. And, and we just spoke about it. But I want to get your thoughts on how you thought Tavares and Nylander played tonight in response to the article.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say the three guys that they released centered out in that article were Kerfoot, Tavares, and Nylander, and all three of them had a really good game. And, and I and I go back to the evolving hockey data, and the, those three were actually the three leading uh, players in ex- individual expected goals. Matthews was fourth, but it was a pretty distant fourth, to be completely honest. So it, it's really good to see those guys kind of get off the schneid. And, and again, they don't get the goal. They don't produce the offense, but you could see all the chances Tavares was getting. I mean, this guy can't buy a goal. There was one shift where I yeah. seen him get four shot attempts and it was just like, man, like He's getting the chances. He's getting to the spots. His, I think his shooting percentage is under 3% now after this game. So like on a shooting percentage, so that's going to go up. This, this guy isn't necessarily the player he was a couple years ago when he almost scored 50, but he's not going to score 10 goals this year. I think the Leafs nation needs to calm down a little bit. Like he's still <laughs> one of the better players in the league and in the underlying data suggests that even, even if he's not really producing right now.
0: Well, I think he did not play well on Monday at all. Like that was no. that was not a good game. Possibly one of the worst that he's played as Maple Leafs. So I knew that or I I figured that there would be a little bit more pep in his step tonight just because he's that's the type of guy he is, right? Like he he doesn't want to leave a sour taste in his mouth and he knew that coming off of a bad game on Monday, he needed to play well tonight to try and, you know, rid that from his memories. And and I think he did a pretty good job. You, you couple that with, you know, what he woke up to this morning and, and being talked about uh, by Steve Simmons as a guy who's overpaid, slow, looking his age, can't skate no more, uh, underperforming and all that nonsense. And then he goes out and has a pretty good game. But again, like you said, it's not that he was able to uh, – he was producing opportunities – but just the finishing has been a really big issue for for that second line. And, and like I said, we'll get into it a little bit uh, more later in the episode. But it really kind of comes down to bad puck luck at this point for these guys.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's one of those things that you look at everything and it leads you to believe that it's going to turn around. And in, in the long run, I think it will. It's, it's one of those things that I'm not too worried about it 15 games in the season. If this is kind of how they're playing going into the playoffs, I'd be a lot more worried about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, another player who played extremely well, I thought, tonight was uh, Joe Thornton, um, you know, on the ice for, for all four goals tonight, technically, although two of them ended up getting waved off. And and, and I want to have a conversation about this because Mike Johnson, um, you know, former NHL or works at TSN, put out a tweet that I vehemently agree with because that first jumbo goal uh, with two seconds left in the period ended up getting waved off. I mean, I understand the rule that you can't push the the puck and the pads into the back of the net, but the way that that play kind of went down, why can't you go at a loose puck? This is how Mike Johnson phrased it, and I want to get your thoughts on this. He said, "quote I think that the Thornton goal should have counted. You should be able to push the the push the pad in if you're pushing the puck into the pad. Puck wasn't covered." Players should be entitled to attack the puck if it isn't covered. As long as Thornton is pushing the puck into the pad and not the pad itself, it should have counted. So that's his thoughts on that rule and on that play. What are your
1: thoughts on that? No, I saw that tweet too, and I, I completely agree. It was one of those situations where every logic dictates, like, if you just show that to somebody who's never watched hockey and, and say, is this a goal? 90% of people are probably going to say yes. Yeah. It, it, it's just one of those things where, Yeah, there's technically a rule that kind of seems dumb in retrospect, and and you don't know exactly why it's there. But we need to kind of realize, like, this is still a sport. Like, things are going to happen, and and like, that when things look like a goal, they should be a goal. Well, not only that, but I I think you're like this. The
0: hockey is more fun when goals are being scored. Why are you limiting the opportunities to score goals by having you know ticky tacky calls like that go against you? when it comes to score, like it just doesn't make any sense from an NHL's perspective. If they're trying to grow the great, grow the game, taking away tiki tacky goals, isn't going to do it.
1: Yeah. I completely agree with you. Like you want these goals and, and I understand the high stick. You don't want guys yes, to, that, to that... willingly swing their stick up high in the For air. Like, sure. That's dangerous. I get it. But yeah, the goal where you're jamming it in on the crease, it, the goalie doesn't have his glove even over there. Like that should be an easy indication that that puck's not covered up because it's clearly free. And, that's the one disadvantage the ref has behind the net. Like that's a good perspective for him to have because you can see a lot of the play, but you can't really see sometimes when the puck's covered up. So a lot of times the refs default to it being covered up and a lot of times that ends up not being the case and goals get taken back and, and goals get disallowed in this case. And for, forgive me if I'm wrong, because I was listening to the game without sound tonight uh,
0: here in the studio, so I was just watching it. But I, did did a whistle go off before he pushed it in? Is, is that why it ended up kind of getting called an old goal or was it strictly because it was just being it was pushed the pad was was pushed through over the goal line
1: yeah I think it was pushing the pad over the goal right. line because yeah it, it wasn't like the whistle went they they didn't indicate like the whistle went or anything it was just one of those situations where because it wasn't it, covered up <laughs> yeah the, the, the ref why. just decided like hey let them put like or you're not allowed to push them in and uh, like I said, the rule's there, but it, it, it's a nonsensical rule, in my opinion. The ref must be
0: uh, uh, must have played junior goaltender or something when he was <laughs> younger, and he's always going to be pro goalie. That must be the problem there. Um, but yeah, that. Uh, but but uh, you know, outside of that, I thought Jumbo was uh, had himself uh, a heck of a game. I I thought um, one other thing that I wanted to bring up tonight, and it's something that I think has become a little bit too. I want to uh, – what's the word I'm looking for here? A little too frequent. It's becoming habitual. Two-on-ones. First and foremost, at least you're giving up too many two-on-ones. Um, and secondly, the slide-first mentality when defending the two-on-ones. I don't know if you've if, if this is bugging you, but, you know, tonight uh, there, was, there was a couple that, that caught my eye. The first one by TJ Brody, um, I think he got lucky that – Connor Brown didn't put that off of Anderson's pads because there was another senator just waiting to pounce on that rebound. I think it was just a muffin by Brown, and they kind of got lucky there. But then the second one with Morgan Riley on the Kachuk goal, you know, bad, uh, you know, bad slide, and he's able to get a backdoor tap in almost. I just don't like this whole slide-first mentality while defending a two-on-ones. What are your thoughts on that, and, and if you're seeing anything uh, when it comes to that play?
1: Well, as my wife knows from the 15 minute rant I went on about it today, it's absolutely ridiculous. It Stop doing it. It doesn't make any sense. You you completely take yourself out of the play. You show them exactly what you're going to be in position to defend. In quite frankly, that's nothing, basically, because you're not in control of your body when you're sliding like that. And, and I go back to like a lot of my junior hockey scouting and, and when I watch these kids developing and stuff and. there's always that tendency in junior hockey to to drop down and slide on your stomach and try to defend that two on one, but it rarely works. And it's always a critique I have of a kid because it it doesn't work in the NHL ever. Like it might work once in a while in junior, but it doesn't work at the NHL level (laughs) in or in the watching Morgan Riley, the video game. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. But watching Morgan Riley just slide by the play in, 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 because of how early he went down he completely dictated and allowed the the forward to go okay now i know exactly how i can move over this puck to get it to the the forward across the ice crash in the net it, it's just a useless play like out of pure desperation and laziness is it's how that play ends up
0: and we've seen this happen time and time again like it's almost as if this is what's being taught by them because it, it's it's not just riley or it's not just brody like we're seeing this happen Quite often with these with these Leafs defensemen when they're caught on two on ones, their first mentality is just to to slide and try and take away the pass. But that's to me and obviously to you, it doesn't seem like a very good uh, a good way to defend that. Which it turns out it's not. <laughs> but it just seems like it's something that's just happening way too often for me.
1: Yeah, I I really don't like it, and like morgan riley has been a bit of a sore spot for me all year and and this game was kind of the perfect indication of it he he really wasn't great in this game and overall there was a bunch of missed passes there was just he just didn't seem like he was fully himself today and and that's been the case a lot of the season and the the sliding to defend things and just the misreads defensively and just overall it, it was a really tough game from him and I mean, he, he gets bailed out a lot by having Brody back there, and Brody's a really responsible player. And, and credit to Brody for that. But man, there, there'd be some nights if I was TJ Brody, where I'm just like, what are you doing, man? Like, the read clearly wasn't there
0: well it's funny you say that because I had this conversation now maybe you were listening to the post game show on Monday but I, I posed the question to to Brandon Cameron who joined me and I said like are you worried about Riley's play this has been you know a, quite a few games in a row he's put together here where I've been catching myself saying oh, what are you doing out there on this on the defensive side of the ice or he's over committing himself to the, the offensive game and you know he's Getting bailed out by Brody, which doesn't make it seem as bad, but that's the thing. He's putting his defensive partner in a lot of bad situations. Saw so it happen a couple of times tonight. Are you worried about kind of the play of Morgan Riley as of late?
1: I mean, we, we've always known Morgan Riley's been a, a bit of a black hole at times defensively, but we've seen him take steps to be better in the last couple of years. Specifically, uh, two years ago, he was actually half decent the last couple of years in this year specifically, he's been an absolute tire fire at times. And I, I am worried about his play defensively because it's getting to the point now where it's like, okay, like what is going on here? Like, why are you making these decisions? Like I, I do a game tape series with prospects where I, I go over some of their, their game tape and I, I watch a video with them and we talk about their, their video and, and kind of break down their game together. And I would love to do that with Morgan Riley right now, because I'd love to just be like, Hey, <laughs> what, what, is, what are you seeing on this play right now that makes you think, jumping into the attack is a good play or or attacking this guy when you have two guys behind you like i i just want to know what he's thinking on a lot of plays lately yeah, and you think that would be something that the coaching
0: staff would be able to get into his ear and be like hey see what you're doing here you've done this now for like four or five games maybe you'll want to not and try something else here here's a solution to your problems but uh i don't know i i think that he certainly will need to to clean some things up going forward. All right, uh, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll we'll discuss our three stars of the game. Bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, welcome back to the Locked On These podcast. I am joined by Tony Ferrari of uh, dauber prospects maple Leafs with a 2-1 win over the ottawa senators and we're gonna go over our three stars of the game we'll start with you who was your
1: third star tony my third star i gotta give to austin matthews just another great performance by him he he didn't necessarily drive possession or drive shot differentials like he normally does but he gets the goal he's fired up like you just love seeing it and leading the league in goals like Man, this guy, every season he gets better, and it's just fun to watch him evolve this year. He was fired up. Oh, my. Because that was like right
0: after the second Thornton goal got waved off. Yeah. The literally the ensuing play, he ends up setting up shop, gets a nice uh, one timer off, and, and opens the scoring. And he just like super, super excited. Gave it a big old yell, a big let's go. It was kind of reminiscent to when Wayne Simmons did give the old belt and the let's go pump uh, opening night after that Chirot fight. I, f- I kind of got those types of vibes from that goal, to be quite honest with you. Didn't quite give the team as much energy, I guess, as as the, the fight ended up doing. Uh, but I, I I agree with you. And, and when it comes to, to Austin Matthews, now he didn't make my three stars. I'll tell you that right now. It's not that he didn't play well but this is somebody who each and every night is becoming a superstar in this league like if i really wanted to he easily could be a top three star of this game just like he has been each and every single game so off the bat just fair warning I believe that he was a, a top player for the Maple Leafs tonight because he always is. But I had to give some love to some, to some other players tonight because I thought there was a few other guys who actually stepped it up and, and played rather well. And, and for me, my third star was Jumbo Joe Thornton. You know, we, we talked about him a little bit earlier today and how well he was. Uh, you know, had a couple of goals that were waved off, unfortunately, but he was on the ice for the other two. Um, I thought he looked great out there tonight. There, there was that one shift specifically, and it wasn't even Thornton. It was kind of everybody. And it was a, uh, it was in the middle of a change, too. But it, it led to the penalty that produced the game winner, where he was out there kind of imposing his will, um, battling for pucks along the boards, moving it around along with a bunch of other players. Uh, I, I felt that, you know, he really looked kind of like uh, his old self tonight, like as weird as that is. It looked like he was... 28 years old again today and he's not he's what 43 it's 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 weird that at 43 years old this guy can play like that but you know a season high 18 minutes 19 seconds uh, of ice time tonight and and he looked really good so I had him as my third star of the night
1: yeah I I can't disagree with you there man Jumber was so so good tonight uh star number two who you got all right, my star number two. I got to go with Alexander Kerfoot. I, I've been ragging on him all year. I've been hard on him all year, but he he had a really good game today. And like I said, he really came on late in the game and getting the game winner. It wasn't pretty. It was really ugly. It took three bounces, but it went in. And, and boy, oh boy, did he really need that? Because ho- hopefully, that's one of those goals that can kind of get some confidence in him and and, and get him kind of producing a little bit more. Yeah,
0: we said the same thing about McKay of a couple of nights ago.
1: Still
0: yeah. hasn't been able to build off that goal, but I hope you're. I hope you're right when it comes to Kerfoot. He was also my second star of the night. I thought that he was kind of buzzing around the entire game, um, and, and he was one of the guys also with that that shift that I I, I want to call that like the game defining shift. That was really when when Toronto it was probably their best shift of of the night. And and he was one of the players that was involved there to really keep the pressure on and and eventually forcing Ottawa to take a penalty. I think it's a good Branson was out there for over two minutes. That's how much possession and how much time that they had in the offensive zone. They were able to do a full line change at that in the middle of of that shift. So I, I thought Kerfoot played, played extremely well uh, tonight and then, like you said, ended up crediting with the game winner. Um, so Kerfoot, once again, uh, is my second star as well, which means uh, we probably have the same first star of the night
1: yeah we do I want to talk about that shift for one quick second though real quick yeah because it was really interesting the the bulk of that shift was mostly a really weird line that I'd never expected to see on the ice together this season and that was Thornton Kerfoot and Nylander those three completely none of them play on the same line regularly but they were out there for some reason for a big chunk of that shift and like you said it really was a a game defining shift and oh man, like. You've seen all of them contributing, all of them kind of cycling, and then you got Matthews working in there, and you had Tavares working in there, and you had different guys in that shift, and And like you said, it, it really did change the game because it hemmed them in there for over two and a half minutes. Yeah, and, and that, that's what I mean. That's like, so why I'm trying
0: to think about who was all there, but they legitimately had a line change in the middle of that shift, and I think Thornton was the one of the guys who ended up hanging back and... Ended up in like a, a, a mishmash of players out there on the ice. But it worked, man. It, it totally worked. They're regardless for still moving the puck around and forced Ottawa to take a penalty. I think I tweeted out, I said, a shift like that where you're dominating the offensive zone with that much puck possession time, needs to end with either a goal or a penalty. And it did end in a penalty, and they were able to convert on it. So to me, that was kind of the defining shift in this game, where Toronto really took advantage and ended up ultimately becoming the reason why they won. Um, So yeah, I totally agree with you there. Uh, Okay, so where are we at? The first star of the game, Freddie Anderson.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, he was just so good tonight. And, and you look at him and you go, man, like if steady Freddie can be this guy every night. And and like I said, just be steady. He doesn't need to be phenomenal. He made a, he kept this team in the game in the first period. He made a, a few really nice saves on, on shots in tight, but Man, like, Freddie was outstanding today. You, you look at some of his, his more advanced stats again. I, I I refer to evolving hockey for this, and his goals saved by, uh, above expectations was 1.26. Like, he really held this team in the game, and, and credit to Matt Murray, who was over one as well. So it, it was a really good game by both goalies, and, and Freddie was just the better goalie tonight, and, and sometimes that's what it takes to win.
0: Uh, Yeah, Freddie was, Freddie was great, and, and a massive bounce-back performance. Uh, made 27 stops on the night kept the team in it really during a, a rocky first period when the puck was in their end for for most of the most of the the, the opening frame made 10 of 11 high danger saves tonight as well and I, I just thought that you know, this was a big-time bounce-back game for him after, after a stinker on Monday. And it was a statement, and, and he'll be rewarded tomorrow, I'm assuming, with a night off. I, I know technically, I guess post-game, Keefe was asked who the starter is, and he declined to comment and said, yeah, we're still going to think about it. I, I got to assume that, uh, that that they give Freddie the night off, and, and we'll, we'll have to see Hutchinson in the pipes tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I, I assume it's going to be Hutchison, like I said, unless there's some miracle where Jack Campbell's magically back just because he's such a nice guy or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but no, it, I think it's got to be Hutch. you got to give Freddie the night off. Yeah.
0: Uh, all right, so those are our three stars of the game. We'll take one more quick break, and when we return, we're going to get into this Steve Simmons article that had Leafs Twitter up in flames in regards to William Nylander. So sit tight. We'll be right back Auto are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as the do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck and write Locked On on their How'd You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts a car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the Locked On Lease podcast, your daily Maple Lease podcast. Just a reminder that you can get these shows each and every day delivered right to your phone. Just make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast from. I am Mike DiStefano, the host of this program, being joined as I am each and every week by Tony Ferrari. And uh, Tony, did you get a chance to read this Steve Simmons article that set Leafs Twitter ablaze today?
1: I did get a chance to read it, and I mean, it's a Steve Stimmons article, and that's what I'll start with. <laughs> Tell you what, I,
0: I, I'm, I'm going to somewhat play devil's advocate a little bit here, because I felt that uh, there was a lot of outrage over the the front page, and it did make it look very tabloidy, kind of like an expose type thing. But the article itself I didn't think was nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be based on the headline um, and the outrage that I had seen on Twitter before I actually read it. I think there was a lot of that was lost in this article. And people just, when they saw the the headline and the photo that accompanied it on the front page, they automatically thought that this was a Steve Simmons sewer job on Nylander. It somewhat was, but this was really an indictment on the team's depth as a whole, you know, Tavares was also part of the chopping block here. He got the brunt of things as well, along with uh, Alex Kerfoot. And really, I felt his point at the end of the day was if this team wants to compete for a Stanley Cup, they need to get more production out of guys like Neilander, guys like Tavares, and guys like Alex Kerfoot. Because with those guys not performing the way that they need to, considering what they're being paid, this team isn't going to go anywhere. That's kind of like the overall crux of what I took from it. There was some other things that were involved in there. But overall, I didn't actually have that big of an issue with the article.
1: Yeah, when I read it, I, I, I like, like you, I went in expecting the worst. And, and I came out going, okay, so here's the issue with the way it was presented. The, of course, the headline was it was. Going to get people fired up and going to get people mad, and, and and that's just what the Toronto Sun does, and that's what Steve Simmons does. And well, let's I mean, let's also a lot let's of times say it's not even the the writer, right? So exactly. a lot of times it's the editor that makes the headline.
0: Exactly, and so, I did want to make sure that we stated that you know Steve Simmons, he could have. I mean, a guy like him, he has the clout where if he wants an uh, uh you know a specific title, he probably has the pull to make it you know be. But it's also very possible that he had nothing to do with the title and had nothing to do with. The image that they, you know, decided to accompany it on the front page. I do want to point that out that that is also possible.
1: A hundred percent. And like you said, that is worth pointing out because it, it very well could have been not him on both of those cases. So I, beyond that, I think the biggest issue was the fact that he starts it off with with the fact that he he goes in on on William Nealer Neander being like <laughs> a Swedish piece of furniture and comparing him to IKEA stuff without instructions and. and just going into it to start like that. And, and of course you go after the Swedish kid and call him Ikea and it's just not a good look. And and I think that the, while the, the premise of the article and then the fact of the matter is like the depth wasn't, isn't scoring all, all that much and, and there is need to kind of get some of that, those depth guys going, but it's, it seemed odd that he, he went after the, seven million dollar swedish kid and called him ikea furniture and then and then he also like you said he also went after the captain but he went off after john in 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 a much more gentle way he didn't go after him as hard um once he started presenting stats though like the stats don't lie those are real stats um what i'd implore him to do though is look at some of the other stats look at the 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 goals above replacement look at the goals above expectation like look, look at some of the the deeper underlying stats that kind of show what the process of it is and, and where Nylander getting the shots from because he, he talked about how William Nylander soft and he doesn't get to the areas that that Matthews and Marner get to and I mean that's just factually not true yeah Nylander was near the top of the league last year in if I'm not mistaken he was second in the league last year in his slot shots and uh first in the, in, on the Leafs in goals from that area in, in this season admittedly he's not doing it as much he's still ahead of Marner and he's still ahead of John Tavares so it's not like he's not doing it still it's just Matthews and some of the guys that are really hot streaks like, like Wayne Simmons oddly enough that are getting shots from a higher percentage there so it's the context that he's presenting it in And anytime someone writes with stats and I could do this myself and I'm sure I have done it where I've leaned towards the narrative I want to write. And I use the stats that kind of build that narrative.
0: Yeah. You can and, cherry and... pick very easily when you're writing something and and you want to try and prove one narrative. It's so easy to cherry pick, but that also kind of leaves you up for, you know, vulnerable for somebody to also pick your point apart, like you're doing right now when you say there's also these other facts like for example during this piece when he was rattling off players such as you know uh, mckinnon pastor point guys who are making less money than william nylander but producing more I can list a, a whole whack of players who are also making more money than William Nealander and not producing nearly as much. I mean, Jeff Skinner's making nine sheets skating on the fourth line out in in Buffalo, just to you know, as one guy. Kalach uh, Pozo, another guy at Buffalo, I'm pretty sure is making seven million. Like, there's a lot of players right now. Uh, Eric Carlson has been a dumpster fire this season. He's making what eleven five. Like, there's a lot of guys you could you can make that argument both ways, and, and that's the issue when you. Are cherry picking stats and he did that a little bit in this article i agree with you
1: and, and like i said steve simmons does the job that he's paid to do right like he he gets clicks he gets people talking he gets people <laughs> yes. fighting and that's just what steve simmons is and i i think one of the the funniest tweets i've seen on the entire thing was from steve dangle and it was, it was just simple simple tweet. Didn't even address it directly or anything. It just said, imagine if Taylor Swift got on stage and started singing a bunch of Taylor Swift songs and everyone was like, whoa, can you believe Taylor Swift is singing all these Taylor Swift songs? That's the reaction to the Neilander article every single time. And it's true. Like, that's just what it is, right? Like, you know, Steve Simmons isn't a fan of Neilander, You know, he wants guys to hit. You, you know, he, he wants to get guys gritty and he wants to play with he's truculence. He, he's guy. that Burke. Yeah, he's that Burke era reporter, right? And, and that's perfectly fine. Like, those opinions are still valuable. I, I don't think you need to be silencing anybody or anything like that. If, but Steve Simmons is going to get some of the blowback and, and Steve Simmons is probably one of the best in the industry at taking it. So credit to him for being able to post and ignore it because i didn't really see a whole lot of response from him or, or anything that he was uh going back at people so and, and that's not always the case on stuff like this
0: he's used to it by now like he really is he he puts out his stuff he knows don't read the comments don't go on to twitter today turn your mentions off he doesn't read any of it i guarantee it like there's no way that you possibly could and still be still be okay uh but but you know, a couple of things that I do want to agree with him on that that I think are true about, you know, Nylander specifically. I, I kind of agree with him that he hasn't been assertive enough and he he, he hasn't been going into the areas that he needs to, to score. And most importantly, he's not shooting enough. He's only got 30 shots uh, through 16 games heading into tonight. And, and I think that somebody who has a great shot like William Nylander, I want to see more of it. Like that's the, I want to see more of it, and he'll score more goals the more shots he takes. So that's that's one of the things that that kind of bothered me. Um, about him, and, and you take a look at the production of Nylander and Tavares. I saw a lot of people saying, "Oh, he's you know they've got you know almost a point per game. How are you going to say that they're doing nothing?" Okay, but take a look at the difference between the even strength and on the power play. We know how much that power play is cooking, and they are doing extremely well on the power play. Right? They've both got twelve. Uh, they've combined for twelve points themselves on the power play, but even strength it hasn't been great, right? Like, Nylander only has seven points at even strength. JT, only eight of his... uh, Was he at 16 points, I think? So, like, 50% of his points have come on the power play. So, the whole point to me is the lack of production at five on five and and it's true there is definitely something uh there's something wrong here when it comes to JT Nealander. we spoke about it a little bit earlier I think we could chalk some of this up to up to you know bad puck luck but also you know when it comes to Nylander more specifically I suppose he's just not shooting enough and he's not taking his his shot when he has the opportunities
1: yeah, and that's part of the problem with, with an article like what, what Steve Simmons put out today is because while there are valid points in there and, and and not everything he said was untrue. Like, not not everything he said was, most of what he said wasn't untrue. And, and the sad fact of it is, is because he chooses, and that's his brand, like I said, like, that's what he does, but because he chooses to present it in this, like, controversial, in-your-face, this-is-how-it-is, this is, this is its anti um, anti-Neilander style of writing... It, it it comes off and it ignites people, and a lot of times people won't even give it the day, time of day. I've seen so many people today talking about how don't read the article. I summed it up for you, and it's like, yes, they summed it up for you in in the most part, but they're summing it up from an angle, right? And right, of course, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of the article. That's not. I don't agree with everything he said because, like I said, there, there's other things and and there's nuance to the situation. And Steve Steve is one of the best at writing without nuance, and and like I said. He does it for a reason, and he's been a journalist as long as he has for a reason.
0: What did you make of his comments about his assumption of Keefe not liking what he's seeing from Nealander based on the decreased ice time? Because he went on to say, you know, Tavares, he's 50th in even strength uh, score, scoring, Nealander's 84th, but their ice time has really, I think he was, Nealander was what, 100 and. 191st or 151st or something like that in in uh, in ice time amongst forwards in the league. You can look at that in a couple of ways. Either you can look at it from Steve Simmons' point of view, where he says, you know, obviously with the decreased ice time, Keith isn't liking what he's seeing from them, therefore he's not putting them on the ice. Where I look at as, look, there's only 60 minutes in a game, and you've got guys like Matthews and Nylander who you want to, or uh, Matthews and Marner. Who you want to put on the ice as much as possible. And unfortunately, they happen to play the same positions as Tavares and Nylander, and you gotta take that ice time away from somebody. So I think that when it comes to the the shared ice time argument, I just see that as well, it's because their big line, their their top line is just playing so much. Like that Marner is is leading the league in ice time. He's got almost t- over twenty-three minutes a night. Matthews is playing over twenty-two minutes a night. Like these guys are playing a lot, which unfortunately means guys like Nylander and Tavares aren't going to see as much time on the ice.
1: Yeah. I think again, that's one of the situations where if you look at the situation with a little bit of nuance and you look at the situation with a little bit of like a bigger picture view, context, you do see. Yeah. With context, you see that Matthews and Marner, like you look at tonight, Matthews and Marner both played under their average time on ice. Marner had 22.04. Matthews had 21.55 in Nylander and in uh, Tavares were the next couple forwards after after Thornton and Hyman who both spent time on on the Tavares or the Marner Matthews line in, in those two are the next two forwards at 1852 and 1752 so uh, and the thing is he, he also referenced the fact that he's significantly lower than than John Tavares so he's pulling him off his line all the time well that's not necessarily always true centers generally end up playing with a little bit more ice time except for the odd case in Mitch Marner and, uh, in Austin Matthews but that's because Mitch Marner plays a lot on the penalty kill as well but in the most part, a lot of times centers do have end up with a couple more minutes than the wingers that they're on line with because they're generally the first on after a change and they're the last off after a change. So it's going to be one of the situations where the extra four five, six seconds at the end of a shift or at the start of a shift add up to a minute extra on, at the end of a night, a minute extra over a, a league can make you, you it seem like such a wide gap between 90th and 151st or 191st whatever it was but it, it's realistically not that big of a deal like both guys are playing 17 18 minutes a night do do you really want them playing that much more like are you you look at the rest of the lineup and okay you're going to take a line f- time away from that fourth line who's been pretty effective like Jason Spezza and Travis Boyd both played under 9 minutes tonight right, do you want to take minutes away from those guys probably not like they've been productive when they've had ice time so You got to take minutes from somewhere, and I don't see really where you want to take minutes from when they're still playing almost 19 minutes or 18 minutes a night.
0: Speaking of Travis Boyd, were you as perplexed as I was when you saw him out there on the power
1: play? I I had no clue what was going (laughs) on, but I'm like, you know what? (laughs) He's been good, it works. Like they scored, he's a a really unique uh, player because he doesn't align with the analytics at all. Like, he's this guy that's been on a career long PDO bender. Um, I think it's J Fresh Hockey con- constantly tweets out this chart of his PDO and it's literally just 120 basically for his entire career and it's like I don't understand how he has never had a dip to get back down to even average luck he just has great puck luck I mean you looked at his goal the other night when he just <laughs> turned into Wayne Gretzky like yeah. I, don't, I don't know what was happening with him but this guy seems to produce good things when he's on the ice so I'm not going to complain about it tossing on the power play sure I guess if you, if you're gonna put him in the net front or, or in the bumper
0: and it worked they ended up scoring on the power yep. play well the same line was out there the power play was still out there it was a little bit past uh past the the power play two minute parameters but I mean they were all out there and he was he was doing his thing but yeah no when it comes to the to to the Simmons article I I, I think context is is key for a lot of things when when you're making arguments here which is always kind of tough when you're you know you're you're writing an article which means you're 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 trying to prove points so you're you, you're not going to have all sides you're not going to please everybody and you know you you are going to end up cherry picking some of the the stats that you decide to use which leaves you a little bit open for vulnerability for people to pick you apart but at the end of the day um you know Steve Simmons like he's an old school reporter uh, clearly, he's not happy with Nylander's production, um, and and this is his way of, of showing that he's not happy. And, and He found some stats to back up his points. Some of them are valid, but there are also some other stats that say different. It just depends what you want to believe, and is what it is. But um, I, I I I think that Simmons sometimes uh, like if here's my 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 question to you. Instead of it saying Steve Simmons on the on the as the author of today's article, and instead it was like I don't know uh, Jonas Siegel. Do you think there would have been this much outrage over it?
1: You know, uh, I'd like to say no, but if it, the the IKEA line was the one that I think lit people on fire, and I think that because he is Swedish and because they're they're bas- they're kind of targeting him in in. in I mean, Steve, Steve Simmons has had this this habit of doing it for a long time, kind of attacking European players a little bit. So it's one of those things where you're like, man, like you, you don't want to see that. Like you don't want to see him attacking. You you, make a different metaphor. Just don't use the Ikea thing. Like I I think if that wasn't used in, in, again, the the photo and the headline were kind of garbage too, but if he didn't use that Ikea line to open the article up and use something a little bit cleaner and, and not such a, a bit of an insensitive line, just attacking a guy for being Swedish almost, and I I understand what he was trying to do, but it's not one of the things you can do today in society. Like it's it's just unacceptable. So, if that line wasn't in there, I think this article in general, even with Steve Simmons' name on it, would have been a lot more well received. Fair
0: enough, fair enough. I I think that's that that's a really good point. Um, it, it, at the end of the day, it is it's 2021, and maybe Simmons has to adapt and be a little more. Uh, a little more progressive and not so bullish like he tends to be. <laughs> um, all right, man. I think uh, that'll do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Locked On Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Locked On Leafs and follow Tony at the Tony Ferrari. And Tony, what you got going on this week over at Dauber?
1: Uh, this week, there's not a whole lot going on outside of a few articles coming out here and there, but I've got my top uh 60 with 30 honorable mentioned ranking for the NHL draft coming out next Monday. And uh, I actually just had a, a video go out on the Dauber Draftcast YouTube channel where I, I did one of those game tape breakdowns with Brant Clark, who has a chance at going number one in this year's draft. So nice. it was really interesting to kind of pick his mind on, on some of the plays he's made this year over in Slovakia playing pro hockey over there. So that was a really fun interview and, and stuff. So make sure you check that video out.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds really intriguing. I'll certainly go and check that out. Uh, and if you like all that content, be sure to uh, to follow uh, Tony wherever you can. Uh, all right. If you want some more hockey talk, though, be sure to check out the Locked On NHL podcast where myself and four of Locked On hosts discuss the latest around the NHL. We got another game tomorrow. This isn't it for the Maple Leafs and the Senators. The Battle of Ontario reignites tomorrow. And uh, so I will keep you posted for the post-game show after that. Until then, keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.